we are pulling off of our bookshelf this morning, the minor prophet Joel again, and we're going to restart back into Joel. We've got some interesting things that I want to cover. I'm excited to open the book with you. Before I do so, I got an email this week from class member Phil Wagner talking about some different stuff related to tools. And I think it's something that may prompt me to do some video thoughts for the week. But in the meantime, you just, you got to love tools. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if everybody does. There may be some people out there say, I don't love tools. Well, you got to broaden your definition of tools. Don't just think about the toolbox, but think about whether it's tools in the kitchen to help you cook, whether it's tools in a craft room to help you sew, whether it's tools in the garden to help you garden. Speaking of tools, one of the hardest things that I had to learn to do in seventh grade shop class, when we lived in Rochester, New York, and I started seventh grade, it was a different era. And all boys were required to take shop. No girls were allowed to take shop. All girls were required to take home economics. A different era. But I remember having to make this box, and the hardest part of the box wasn't cutting the wood, wasn't sanding the wood, wasn't planing the wood. Heavens, it wasn't nailing the wood. The hardest part was putting on the hinges. And that came to my mind in light of this class because Joel has got his hinge in just the right place. You say, what on earth are you talking about? Well, we're going to examine the Old Testament prophet Joel. And when we examine it, Joel is very easily divided into three parts. And I'm going to call it before the hinge, the hinge, and after the hinge. So let's get into it and let's see what I'm talking about. We start before the hinge. The first chapter, the first verse through chapter 2, verse 11, that's the section before the hinge. And I'm going to go through that with you in some detail. But before I do, I'd like to just give it to you in a modernized version, which means we go to not the prophet Joel, but the prophet Bob. Bob Dylan, slow train coming, 1979. The slow train that is coming down the tracks most assuredly is the judgment of God in that song. I want you to listen for a minute. I'm only going to do the first verse because you can only take so much Bob Dylan at once without just standing up and having a party. Here we go. There's a slow train coming. If people don't abandon the principles, that, that these earthly principles that they're living in. You might think I'm saying that about today, but that is the message of Joel 700 plus years before Jesus. 
And so when I say it's the message of Joel, it's the message that Joel delivered, but the word came from the Lord himself. And so Joel begins with the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, and that's where we started last week with a taster. But I told everyone in here, if you were in here, that this idea of a prophet in the Old Testament is that they are God's speakers. They're not writing the song. They don't make the song up. They're the speakers for God's words. And that's what Joel starts out by saying. He says, you're hearing from the pen or the mouth of Joel, but what you're really hearing from is the mouth of the Lord. It's P Adonai. It's the mouth of the Lord. And so Joel continues and says, Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? And and his point here as he continues, whoops, uh, uh, is that, sorry, my slides just went crazy. What was happening was uncommon in their lives. It was uncommon grief, not joy. It was uncommon uh, uh, ba 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 get through this. These were the slides from last week. The point of it was that whether things are common or uncommon, you've got an ever-present God. Because here's the message that Joel's got. He's speaking at a time where there is a massive outbreak of locusts that are devouring all of the crops. And, and they've never seen anything like it. Their fathers have never seen anything like it. It's devastating upon the land, which is devastating upon their lives. They don't have food for their livestock. They don't have food for their families. They don't have food to replant. It's absolutely horrendous. And in the midst of that, Joel says, what you need to hear is something that's so uncommon, but God is present in the midst of this if you will listen and hear what he's got to say. And don't just listen and hear, but Joel continues, tell your children, and then let your children tell their children, and their children tell their children, after the children, after the children, after the children. Because this is a message that everybody needs to hear, and we need to tell them. So that is the warm-up that we had last week and the warm-up that's in the book. Now let's get into some details. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. You get the message. This is not a pretty time. This is not a pretty thing. This is what you could call worst case scenario. Truly worst case scenario. I said to my sister Catherine once, I said, Catherine, can it get any worse than this? And she said, never challenge worse. That's the wisdom of age. Never challenge worse. This is worst case scenario. Almost. I was also reminded this week there was a, a judge named Ted Poe who was a judge in Harris County for a long time. Then he was a, uh, our congressman for a long time. Just a, a, a marvelous gentleman, but a great judge as well. And, and Ted tells the story, Judge Poe, I should call him out of respect, tells the story. When he was a judge, there was a five-year-old kid set to testify in court. 
Now, one of the responsibilities of a judge before they allow a witness on the stand is to make sure that the witness is competent to testify. And when you're looking at a five-year-old, the biggest question is whether or not they're old enough. And the age is determined principally by whether or not they understand the oath to tell the truth. So before letting the five-year-old take the stand, because that's an iffy age, the judge took the child back into chambers with the lawyers. And the judge, Judge Poe, said to her, said, now do you know the difference between telling the truth and telling a lie? And she said, yes, sir. And he said, what's the difference? And she said, the truth is real. And a lie is make-believe. And the judge says, that's good. Now, do you know what would happen if you tell a lie? And she said, yes, sir. And he said, what's that? And she said, I would go to hell. (laughs) And he said, well, what I mean is, what would happen in my courtroom if you told a lie? And she looked at him and said, what's worse than going to hell? And he looked at the lawyers and said, can't argue that. She can testify and let her testify. I mean, this is as bad as it gets. Look at this. I mean, you've got, whoops, go back to the verse. The cutting locusts came and cut everything down. What they left, the swarming locusts came and ate. And what the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts came and ate. And what the hopping locusts left... The destroying locust has eaten. I mean, that's worst case scenario. That's as bad as it gets. And then Joel continues, Awaken you drunkards and weep and wail. And all you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine, it's cut off from your mouth. You're not going to have that either. A nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. The nation are the locusts. This massive army. And you need to wake up. And you need to see it. Which takes me back to Bob Dylan. Now I'm not going to play this song because it's going to take too long and i got too much in this lesson. But there's another song on the same album. And the song has this chorus. When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? You got innocent men in jail. Your insane asylums are filled. You got unrighteous doctors dealing drugs that will never cure your ills. When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up? Strengthen the things that remain. You got men who can't hold their peace. You got women who can't hold their tongues. Nothing personal, Bob, but you've also got women who can't hold their peace and men who can't hold their tongues. The rich seduce the poor. The old are seduced by the young. When are you going to wake up? And when are you going to wake up? Adulterers in churches, pornography in schools, gangsters in power, lawbreakers making rules. When are you going to wake up? Strengthen the things that remain. You ever wonder just what God requires? You think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires? When are you going to wake up? Strengthen the things that remain. That's what Joel's saying. When are you going to wake up? 
Wake up to what's going on out there. Consecrate a fast. Whoops. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to God. I mean, this is a time of ultimate despair and ultimate problem. And too often, when people are faced with despair and problems and tragedy in life, we just write them a simple religious prescription of, oh, you know, just take it to the Lord. And, and, and then we go on our way. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the right prescription, but how do you do that? Joel doesn't just say, take it to the Lord. He tells you how to do it. He gives you specific instructions. He says, first of all, consecrate a fast. Decide this is so important in your life that you're willing to skip a meal for it. To pray about it. To seek answers. Call a solemn assembly. Gather good counselors and friends. Gather the elders, the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord. Come before the presence of God with the problem and worship. And cry out to God. And when we're faced with calamity and we're faced with despair and we're faced with problems, that's a pretty good way to take it to the Lord. Recognize that there's something more important than just eating the next meal. And get your counselors together and and come before the presence of the Lord and seek Him in song and worship and prayer with others. Cry out to God. Joel continues and says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. This phrase, the day of the Lord, Yom Adonai, Yom If you're looking at your bookmark, that's the Y sound. This sounds like an O when it's got a dot at the top, and that's an M when it ends the word. Y-O-M sound, yom, that's day. Day can mean 24 hours. Day can mean a period of time, an era. It's got lots of meanings, but we translate it day. Day, and then this is the name of God that's not to be pronounced. It's yod Hey, Vav, hey. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is a phrase that the prophets use over and over to reference God's judgment. There's going to come a time of judgment. And it's guaranteed. Sin was never God's design. Sin is garbage. And it makes for more garbage in our life. It breeds. Sin stinks. It's almost impossible to get off of you. I remember one time when we were growing up, Mom, you had, and bless you for this, bless you for this, one time you made our little sister take out the garbage instead of me. And Holly did not understand why she had to take out the garbage. And mom said, because Mark always takes out the garbage. You can take out the garbage this time. Bless you, mom. (laughs) So Holly takes out the garbage and comes running back in, bawling like a baby. What's wrong? I got garbage water on me. 
Not welcome to my life. (laughs) But sin smells and it gets all over you. And it's garbage. And what Israel was doing and what the world has been doing since Adam and Eve is making a big heap of garbage. And God says, I'm going to take that garbage and make it new. But the way God cleans up that garbage dump is by cleaning up that garbage dump. And that's the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Showed is the Hebrew word for destruction. Showed. And Shaddai is the Hebrew expression for the Almighty. El Shaddai is God Almighty. If you've heard that song by Amy Grant, El Shaddai, God Almighty. So there's a pun here in the Hebrew. Destruction showed from Shaddai, from the Almighty, is coming. The day of the Lord is where he's going to clean up the garbage. But when he cleans up the garbage, it ain't easy and it ain't fun. This machine, that machine grabs the garbage indiscriminately, feeds the hopper, or feeds that, comes out of the hopper. Yeah, it's, it's a destructive mess as it's chewed up and annihilated. And that day's coming. It's the slow train that's coming just assuredly. And Joel says it's near because it is. It is certainly coming. It's not here yet. God has not cleaned up all the garbage yet, or you and I would not be here with all of our garbage. But it's coming. The slow train is coming. We can play a little more. You know, too many of us think that we're in control. Oh, we can manipulate Satan. Oh, we've got sin under control. Oh, this sin we can handle. Oh, this sin is just fine. Oh, this sin's not really going to bother people. In fact, there's going to be some good that comes out of this. Or I'm so old, I don't have to worry about sin anymore. God forgave me a long time ago, and I can just live out my days now in peace. He's either going to take me or he's not. Nothing I can do about it. Or I don't, I'm so young, sin is just everywhere anyway, and, and let's just redefine what sin is, and then we don't have the problem, or I'm so, fill in the blank. And Joel is saying, wake up. That's the point of before the hinge, wake up, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. That shofar that's being blown is being blown in Zion. That's God's holy mountain. That's where the temple is. That's because the message that Joel is speaking is a message that God has for the people. 
This is God who's speaking to the people. And God is saying the earth quakes before the army of the Lord, the locusts. The earth quakes before them, but all of that's the metaphor for the earth quaking before the judgment day of the Lord. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. His camp's exceedingly great. And he who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? That's the day of the Lord coming in judgment that is being typified by the locust attack upon the country at the time. That's a metaphor that Joel is using, that God is using to explain what's coming that's of even greater significance. But I love this expression right here, this sentence. He who executes his word is powerful. The one who is doing the word of God, and and this word executes, Osir is, is to do as well, to, to do, uh, to, to uh, execute is a good way to say it. But it, it's, this is Joel saying, or God saying, that you can take a lowly grasshopper, and when he's doing what God tells him to, he's devastating the land. That is a principle that's not to be lost on us. It's not a throw-in just because Joel needed a sentence, a clause to fit in there for the rhyming scheme. This is a legitimate statement for you and me to hear. Those who do the word of the Lord are powerful. Don't ever, ever, ever think that you are helpless in doing what God wants you to do. If God is behind what you're doing, you can do it with power. Powerful is the one who does his word. Now, all of that's before the hinge. Let me show you the hinge. Before the hinge, judgment is coming. Life is devastating. The hinge is found in Joel 2, 12 through 17. And it starts out, here's verse 2, 12. Yet even now, the gamata, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with your heart, all of your heart. Hebrew word for heart, love, is, is your mind, your brain. Return to me. Make a decision to return to me with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Take it seriously. Start cleaning up your garbage. You don't just, well, the word of the Lord, the day of the Lord's coming. He's going to clean up all the garbage. I might as well make more so he's got something to do with his day. That's Paul's, what then shall we send so that grace may abound? Heavens, no. We need to be out there cleaning up our garbage. He continues, he says, rend your hearts. Don't just tear your clothes in misery. Oh, woe is me. I'm so sorry. Do that to your heart. 
perform some open heart surgery, some brain surgery. Say, I'm going to do this different. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm really going after this. I'm going to hear the word of the Lord and I'm going to do it. Return, return to the Lord your God because he's gracious and merciful. I love this. Kanun, Kanun, Kanun Varachum. It kind of sounds cool together. Kanun Varachum. And those are phrases that are used frequently in the Bible together for God. Gracious and merciful. But I want to talk to you about this word merciful right here for a minute. The word merciful in the Hebrew, Rechem is the root for the word. And Rechem is also a reference to a mother's womb. And this word merciful is the tenderness of a mother for the child in her womb. That's the way God is. God is gracious and he's got a mother's tenderness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. That is an amazing, amazing attribute and trait that our God gladly wears. And so we've got a God who's gracious and merciful who tells us in the hinge, he tells us to go out there and to repent, to, to rend our heart. You know, if, let's take a moment and go back to the Joel 2 because there's more to it. It's just beautiful the way it says it. And it gives me a chance to use my new little toy or tool. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He wants to be there for you. He doesn't want to have to judge harshly his children. He is seeking. He's the, the whole re, and look, if he was just some harsh old codger looking to wipe people out, he didn't need to send Joel. He didn't need to secure Joel in Holy Scripture. But this is God who wants to put the word out there. Who knows whether or not that God would turn and relent. He'll leave a blessing behind. So a drain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Let's, let's do that for him. So blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, get even the nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room, let the bride leave her chamber, get everybody, get all the priests between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, make not your heritage a reproach or a byword among the nations. Why should people say, oh, where's their God? Now, I want to pause for a moment and soapbox. How am I doing time-wise? Yeah, I can soapbox for a minute. People see you and me 
And that's what they decide our faith is about and our God is about. I personally believe we have a winsome God. Do you know what winsome is? W-I-N-S-O-M-E. We have a God who's so attractive. Our God offers an unconditional love for every heart that turns to him. Our God doesn't have a, a, a criteria of what it takes to get into his presence in terms of what you or I can do. He's paid our entrance because he wants everyone in his presence. We have a message of unity. We have a message of love. We have a message of devotion. I'm not saying we flee from purity in our message, but our message needs to be a message of God's love and desire for people first and foremost. And we want to be winsome about that because people will decide what God is like based upon what we are like. And, and, you know, too many times I have people who I talk to who are atheists and, and they say to me, well, I wouldn't, I don't believe in a God who's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I said, well, I don't either. That's not who God is. Well, that's what I see in the media associated with you people. I said, well, A, don't believe everything you see in the media. And B, you people is not me and my people. But even Joel recognized that the neighboring nations would say, what kind of God do they have? He can't take care of them. Because they bring a reproach upon God by the way they were behaving. And we need to be different than that. God's reputation's on the line too. We need to be serious about this stuff. Now, let me get after the hinge because that's uh, important. Um, here we go. After the hinge. There we go. Joel 2, 18 through the end of the book, 321. Let's start with Joel 2, 19. The Lord answered. Now, it's people, judgment's coming, garbage is being piled up, and it's going to get cleared, but we need to be repentant before God because God has blessing for his people who repent. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I'm going to send you grain, wine, oil. You'll be satisfied. I was four or five years old when I think we lived in Memphis, Tennessee. One of the first songs I can remember other than give me the Bible and the B-I-B-L-E and trust and obey. I think number four, this tells you how pious my home was. Mom, just turn your hearing aids off for a minute. <laughs> I lived in a home where I learned Jesus loves me, the B-I-B-L-E, trust and obey, give me the Bible, and a song by the Rolling Stones that they sang on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> I 
You get the idea. Most of you know the song quite well. And bless Mick's heart, where Mick was looking and what Mick was doing, he couldn't get any satisfaction. But God says, I'm going to send you everything you need to be satisfied. The repentant people before God have satisfaction. The repentant people before God get to experience the prophetic word given from Joel. It shall come to pass afterwards. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. See, at the time of Joel and at the time of the Old Testament, God's spirit was poured onto selective people. Selective people were anointed. And the Spirit of God could come on them, and the Spirit of God could leave. The prophets had the Spirit of God. King David is concerned in Psalm 51 after his uh, uh, romping with uh, Bathsheba and all of the fallout of that. He says to God, you know, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51. Because God's Spirit was selectively given. But the promise of Joel in anticipation of the coming judgment day of the Lord is that there will come a time where God's going to pour out His Spirit on all people who call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who repents and puts their faith in Christ have the Spirit of God. It's not selectively given. It's given to all. Old, young. Male, female. Slave, free. God's going to pour it out on everybody. And this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. After Christ dies, after he appears for 40 plus days talking to his, his followers, to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, then he ascends and he says, you stay here in Jerusalem until God sends the promised one that I said would be coming in John 14, 15, and 16. The Holy Spirit that will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. That will remind you the things you need to be reminded of. That will teach you the things you need to learn. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And that's what happens. And the apostles start speaking in tongues. And everybody starts listening in tongues and hearing it. All these different languages. And everybody's trying to figure out what on earth is going on on Pentecost. And we have from Peter. Peter says in Acts 2, 16... And following, he says, this is what God said was going to happen. This is the prophecy through Joel. This is the word of the Lord coming true. And so if we look at Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 16, Peter says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. By the way, I love the way that's written. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel's the speaker. These aren't Joel's ideas. 
This is what God uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and on signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, that's what Joel sees and speaks of. That's what's uttered through Joel. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel speaks in great metaphor. And I'm going to have more about this later because uh, um, we, I'll give you a taste of it now. Um, we think in metaphors. Uh, it's, it's hardwired into our thinking. Think about the metaphors associated with um, war and fighting. We use those metaphors all the time. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm set to try a case uh, in the end of October in Pensacola, Florida. And, uh, yeah, and um, uh, I, I will represent a, a, a veteran who's, who's got the lawsuit uh, because of some supplies that were given in the military uh, that were defective, in our opinion. And so I represent this veteran. And do you know the case will be defended by, you hear what I just said, defended? That's a metaphor word. That's a military word. That's a fighting word. Didn't even register in your brain just because you're used to it. You, you, you can't have an argument without using military metaphors. You know, I'm going to advance my argument. Advance. That's a military metaphor. You know, we think in metaphors. And there are certain groups of metaphors we use all the time. Um, um, there's a metaphor of, of equating time with money. And you'll, you'll hear it all the time. Look, I, I just, I can't afford the time to tell you more. See how that's a time is money metaphor? If I've lost you, don't worry about it. That's just a taste. We'll get into it more later on. But God knows this and God speaks in metaphors to us. A lot, especially in the prophets, but even beyond that. I'm not taking away from the truth of what happened to find a metaphor within it. So with that, I want to look at the points for home, but the points for home are in the text. So let's look at this within this light. Joel 3.14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You and I, saved, unsaved, have decisions to make about how we're going to live our life. We have decisions to make about how seriously we're going to take this stuff. We have decisions to make about whether or not we think God's just there for when we need him 
and it's a very one-sided equation. We have decisions to make about whether or not we actually believe this stuff in Scripture that tells us how we should behave. We have decisions to make of what are we going to do with our garbage. Decisions, decisions, multitudes in the valley of decision. Lots of people need to make these decisions recognizing the day of the Lord is near. So one of my points for home on this is some serious thinking prayerfully about how I'm handling my garbage. Now, I got news for you. None of us are going to be any good at handling our garbage on our own. And that's why Jesus says the Holy Spirit's coming. So the Holy Spirit will help you regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to purify us. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do it without our involvement. We can quench the Spirit or we can walk in the Spirit. We can live in the Spirit. We can be tuned into the Spirit. Or we can be on our own and ignore the Spirit. But it will take the Holy Spirit to work within us. I'm reminded of what Don Fento said when he spoke at the library. Go back and listen to it if you've not. Here's this man approaching his mid-90s, still fervently on fire for God. And last I heard a couple of months ago, he was in Iraq placing three more missionaries at the age of 94. Um, he, he's just amazing. But he's, and, and I had him speak on how to grow old gracefully in the Lord. Now, we've got young people in here. You more than anybody need to hear this message. You deal with the garbage by taking it to God in his spirit to the cross of Christ. And Fento said, if, you, if, if you've got a problem with, with anger and you don't deal with it when you're young or heavens by middle age, do you know what happens? You grow into an angry old man. If you've got problems with gossip and you don't deal with it when you're young, you grow into a bitter, gossipy old biddy or man. We, this, this is a real question. What are we going to do with our garbage? I'd love to just stand up here and give everybody pizza and Snickers bars and say have a good day and let's all be happy. But this is the message of Joel and I'm not responsible teaching it if I don't say here's the message of Joel. Point for home number two. Uh, the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So, this is the way of God. Um, you've, you've got a God who wants to help. You've got a God who wants to protect you. You've got a God who wants in the day of judgment for you to be his. But you can choose that now. You can take it to God now or you can take it to God late, leave it to God later. But you leave it to God later and you don't take it to him now and it's not going to be so pretty and it's not going to be so easy. If you don't take your sin seriously, God still will and he'll knock you to your knees. 
How many alcoholics do we know who don't find some measure of relief until they say, quote, I hit rock bottom? How many people are so desperate and they wreck, they have a shipwreck in their lives before they get serious? Joel's saying, don't wait for the shipwreck. Get serious before this. Joel 3.15, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from the Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. You can leave it for God to deal with and it won't be pretty or you can deal with it now by the grace of God and by his spirit and take life to him. He will, I promise you, I promise you, he will transform who you are. I promise you, he can transform your life. I promise you, I guarantee it. If you put your, if you take yourself serious and put yourself before the Lord, He can do and build the most incredible things that will leave you stunned and amazed. And you will be able to sing that old song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth and wonder how he could love me, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How wonderful, how marvelous, and my song will ever be. How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. It's for real. And that's before the hinge. That's the hinge. That's after the hinge. And that, for us, concludes the book of Joel. We're going to put it back on the shelf. We'll get another minor prophet out next week. And I hope you'll be back then. In the meantime, can I bless you in the name of the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the challenge of it. And I pray that we'll all hear it. And that we'll hear it personally, not just hear it thinking about everyone else who needs to hear it. But thinking about our walk. May your Holy Spirit convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And may it trans- may you, may your Spirit, may He transform who we are. We thank you for your gracious, merciful love. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.